0: This is a download from Forced Migration Online. To find out more, please go to www.forcemigration.org. Because we're coming to the last session of um, uh, this seminar series. Today is a special day, there is a strike for a vote, so we won't expect anyone to be around. And and it's also the end of terms and there are deadlines. It's a pleasure to have here today Dr. Jelke from the University of who She's going to talk about the resistance of the erased. You cannot fight the system. Jelke has been working for many years on these issues and has also been both a researcher and uh, an advocate and has been involved uh, for the development of the Of of the campaign for the the rights of the erased and also for raising the attention on this important issue. And there's a number of publications that cover this this topic. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for the invitation. I think we are ready to start. So, the issue of statelessness concerns the right to belong and the right to have rights. The right to belong is connected not only to an individual's dignity, but also to political and social rights, and such can be decisive for pure survival. The situation of statelessness would therefore seem contrary to the general aim of the modern states. If we understand the source of legitimacy of state power as lying in the creation of conditions for the reproduction of life and welfare, Then, from the perspective of the state, statelessness seems an illogical situation. Why would the state want to deliberately oppress individuals and their families, depriving them of rights normally distributed within society? And why would the state place some people outside of the protection of the law? Michel Foucault wrote that power must not be analyzed at the level of intentions or decisions, but in the field of its application where it produces its real effects. Applying this principle to the issue of statelessness means researching countless consequences in the field of everyday life of stateless individuals and their families and examining how lack of status as an exception from the norm gives meaning to belonging, the notion of political, social, and human rights, and state sovereignty. Since power does not speak from one single center, as a did, for example, it's nearly impossible to discern the true intention of the Slovene government and its public institutions when denying human, social, and political rights to 25,670 people, which is more than 1% of the entire population of the Republic of Slovenia. And this act, which is Slovenia produced the situation of statelessness, is today known as the erasure from the register of Mm permanent residents. Now, first I would like to uh, just briefly discuss the context of the Eurasia, and then I will uh, explain the Eurasia as a case of statelessness. I will try to do it as clearly as possible, considering the time constraint, and then I will proceed to discuss the struggle of the Eurasia. The Eurasia happened soon after Slovenia seceded from Yugoslavia and became an independent state. And almost simultaneously with this process, with simultaneously with independence process, the Slovene political elite initiated the process of acquiring EU membership, claiming that Slovenia had always belonged to Europe and had not belonged to the Balkans. This is important to stress because um, the victims of the erasure were seen as those belonging to the Balkans. At the time, At the beginning of the 1990s, the European Union was already developing measures for the detention and protection of asylum seekers and labor and other migrants without status. In the process of harmonizing Slovenian legislation with European legislation and subsequently subsequently with the European Union's migration system, Legal status became the main classification criterion, criterion, uh, creating a really difficult to cross-boundary between citizens and non-citizens, or rather, between citizens and outcasts. The race, who suddenly lost their legal status, became a sort of testing ground for the structural violence anticipated for asylum seekers and undocumented migrants within the new civilian regime of immigration control. Basically, what I wanted to say is that the same police and administrative structures that, were, uh, that had produced and maintained the statelessness of their race were employed, were employed to, to manage immigration. And those who were erased and left the country were, on the account of the new border regime, prevented to return to their homes. And it happened that they stayed outside Slovenia for years, or even forever. And although the protection of human rights is high on the list of European values, the erasure from the register of permanent residents, which caused de uh, facto statelessness of more than 25,000 people, which is more than 1% of the population of Slovenia, was not recognized as a serious obstacle when Slovenia uh, joined the EU. On second thought, this is not such a surprise if we think that in the European Union there are more than 100 uh, detention centers and that the production of statelessness is taking taking place on an enormous scale. It has been estimated that there are between 1.9 and 3.8 million de facto stateless persons either asylum seekers or undocumented migrants in the countries um, of the EU. So this was very shortly the context, and now I would like to move on to describe the erasure uh, in details, how it was invented and how it operated in practice. To, to understand the erasure from the register of permanent residence part of the secession legislation must be first explained. Otherwise it will be difficult to understand how was this actually invented. Um, how do I get to the next one? Uh, since no state can exist without citizens, the newly independent state of Slovenia needed to define its citizenry. The initial citizenship policy was based on combination of uh, residence principle, or jus commissive principle, and the blood relationship uh, principle, youth sanguinis. The principle of youth sanguinis ensured that all ethnic Slovenes uh, automatically became Slovene citizens. Um, This was in 1991 when Slovenia became independent. But now the question is, of course, how would the state know who is an ethnic Slovenian and who is not? By applying this principle of youth sanguinis, of blood relation principle, uh, the Republic of Slovenia actually expanded on the concept that was already invented before, during during the times of Yugoslavia. And was actually introduced in the uh, Yugoslav Constitution of 1974. Yugoslavia, as we all know, was a multinational federal state, and this constitution, as already said, of 1974 introduced a republican citizenship. Besides federal citizenship, it good republican citizenship, a kind of citizenship which was not really significant for them at that time and which actually went unnoticed by the vast majority of South citizens people normally did not know that this actually exists existed. From today's perspective looking back to this institution of uh, Republican citizenship, it would seem that this, citizen, this Republican this republic of citizenship was in um inroad to in the breakup of Yugoslavia as it fostered ethnic identification and later led war in ethnically republics. This once really obscure category became really important when Slovenia uh, became an independent state. So why was it so important? It was because this was the base for the of this principle. And a vast majority of population of Slovenia, approximately 90%, was eligible for this automatic transformation of citizenship status. So when Slovenia became independent, before we were Yugoslav citizens, and then, suddenly, we became Slovene citizens without doing anything, actually. And as already mentioned, there was also a second method of obtaining citizenship use in Sicily which was meant for uh, permanent residents of Slovenia who emigrated from other republics. Mostly they were uh, from Bosnia and Herzegovina, but also from Croatia, Serbia and so on. These people came to Slovenia as workers in the 70s, 80s uh, when industry was expanding and so on. So in this manner that people applied for citizenship, under really greatly simplified conditions. Um, in this manner, approximately 80% of the total population got citizenship. And on the count of this possibility that it was possible to get citizenship uh, under greatly simplified, simplified conditions, Slovenia displayed an image of a liberal state, both for domestic audience and for um, international Republic. And compared to other republics of the former Yugoslavia, Slovenia presented itself as the only success story. However, beneath the surface of this lovely image, I don't know, picture, the situation was not good. The post-independence process, um, the post-independence period was marked by strong anti-Yugoslav sentiments and the question who was Slovene and who was not a Slovene, became tremendously important. It was also the time when approximately 10,000 people left the country and those who didn't have Slovene citizenship were prevented to return to their homes in Slovenia. So they needed a year to return or they could not return at all, as already said. And although Slovenia had only 10 days of war activities, Slovenia I mean, was the first uh, republic to secede from Yugoslavia and it had only 10 days of war. Uh, so, despite of this short wartime, it produced a mass of displaced persons who were not recognized as such. They were not recognized as displaced persons because actually they returned to their um, countries of origins mostly to Bosnia and Herzegovina, as already said, Croatia and Serbia. And in the time of war in Bosnia and Herzegovina and Croatia, these displaced persons from Slovenia became war refugees and then they were displaced again. And so in my view, the notion of respect for human rights and the rights of minorities, these were principles widely promoted before and during the independence process underwent a really profound change when implemented in practice after the secession. And ethics were became the absolute normative. All others such as Roma, or first or second generation immigrants, whether they were citizens or non-citizens, refugees from Croatia or from Bosnia, they all became targets of various racist oppressions. For example, to illustrate this, what I'm talking now, uh, I can quote activist Alexander Todorovich, remembering, remembering this change in attitude towards him as an immigrant, and he said, "Which one do I press? The right yes, this one? Left. This one, yes." Uh-huh. So this is what, how he illustrated. This is what he said. How he illustrated this, um, this change in, in attitude. I will will read his quotes. I had only good feelings when I came in 1977. Everything changed during the independence movement. And I was under enormous pressure. I felt guilty, less worthy because I was not a Slovene. The psychosis, the division into Slovenes and non-Slovenes was terrible. To others, I was first and foremost a Serb. And I will use this man, Alexander Dodovich interview, a couple of more times during my paper to to illustrate uh, some things. He is an activist, a high-profile activist, and his thoughts seems to me very clear and also is in line with my own observations. Now I would like to explain the erasure. So the Erasure from the Register of Permanent Residen- Residency occurred happened on 26 February 1992. This is a year and a half um, after Slovenia, Slovenia declared its independence. And what is important to stress is that this was a secret measure of the Ministry of the Interior, meaning that persons actually were not notified about this they did not know that this will happen to them and they got no decision or nothing uh, in their hands uh, to complain or to do whatever to know. So this was a secret measure. This this was one of the also one of the biggest problems that it was secret. Persons who were erased from the register of permanent residency had either not applied for citizenship or had their applications rejected. The reasons for not applying for Slovenian citizenship uh, were diverse. Either they want to, they were thinking about return or whatever. It, but this is not actually. It's not important. It's important is that there was a general belief among this group of people that they will retain their status of legal residents um, because. Because they were married to Slovenes, because they were fully integrated into Slovene society, they worked here, and so they could not—they could not know that suddenly, not that they uh, became foreigners, but that they became actually foreigners without any legal status whatsoever. They were treated. In, they were treated as aliens, as I already said, in such a way that enforcement of the aliens like, Act not all the rights they, they, once, they once had. And in the eyes of the law, they became equated with undocumented migrants. As if they would not just came to Slovenia without any eyes <coughs> or status or whatever, but it might happen that they used to live in Slovenia for 30 years or that they were even born in Slovenia. So persons erased from the registry were stripped of the right to reside in Slovenia, the right to cross state borders, or in the case if they or in the case if they left the country, they were prevented to return. Then they were um, stripped of the right to employment and all other social and political rights. And some of these people were even detained and deported from Slovenia. And Roma people. One of the most oppressed minorities in Slovenia were also among this group of eras. In effort, the state produced equality, depriving thousands of their status and preventing many to re-obtain their status. So, what were the obstacles that prevented people that they were would reacquire their legal status? The first obstacle when they tried to um, Re legalize their status. Um, Concern foreign passports. Since they raised became non citizens, they had to identify themselves as foreigners. And to identify yourself as a foreigner, you need a you need passport, you need something. So it was to become Bosnian, for example, was tremendously difficult in the time when in Bosnia and Herzegovina was war, or to become a, a, a Serb, or at that time this was still Yugoslavia, it was very difficult. All connections with, with Serbia were, um, were, um, were obstructed, even there was no transport, nothing. So it was very difficult to get these foreign passports those who left the country for this reason to get the passport, they risked that they would not be able to return to Slovenia. Those who managed to return with a foreign passport encountered a number of other obstacles typically was that they could not provide a a proof of permanent means of survival because the erasure Um, robbed them precisely of their jobs, so they were not able to provide um, proof that they are employed. And besides, this proof of permanent means of survival was required at a time when permanent employment had started to disappear rapidly anyway. Many reported that they found themselves in a vicious circle of administrative demands. For example, one interviewer said, I sent a request for document A, and it was rejected because I did not have a document B. I sent a request for document B, and it was rejected because I I didn't have a document A, and so on. For years or even decades, men continue to reside in Slovenia as de facto stateless persons. The stateless person, without the right to reside and without the right to work, had, of course, constantly transgressed the law, wrote Hannah Arendt more than 60 years ago in her critical analysis of the nation state concept. And if we agree with her, with Hannah Arendt, that the nation state cannot exist once the principle of equality before the law has broken down, then we can see how the reveals that the legitimacy of the Republic of Slovenia as an independent state rests rather on on a rather shaky foundation. But how exactly was this uh, racist oppression in the form of erasure introduced into the legal and executive system and how it operated in practice? Um, Actually, it was done so that instead of law that would define the right to stay for these uh, new non-citizens because they, they did not become civilian citizens. So instead of law that would define their rights and their status, rule by decree was created. Actually, it was the lack of legal definition for this group of people that enabled all this. It enabled the executive power, the Ministry of the Interior, To invent its own way of dealing with this group of people, Um, by filling a legal void, through rule by decree, a juridical exception was created. And as we know, exceptions conceptually derive from state of emergency, as it is war, for example, and are characterized by suspension of basic rights. Mm So one exception concerned the validity of personal documents, documents of the arrest were made invalid despite the fact that these documents were still valid and they were actually issued in Slovenia. And the second exception, which also did away with regular legal norms and basic rights, concerned detentions and deportations from the state. Since there was a legal void instead of law, it happened that the police themselves were given the power to decide who to deport or detain, basically who to deport from the state. And like undocumented migrants in general, their race could be detained and deported without reference to criminal acts. And here we are confronted with the institution of the camp. In our case, a detention and detention center. Looking historically, the camp was developed as an exception from the normal legal rule to protect the society from alleged danger, as presented, for example, by political opponents and later refugees, Jews and other undesirable people of Europe. It's a place where executive power, the police, dominates or is even or is even exclusive. And the question I would like to propose is how and by whom this oppressive structure can be undermined? Can Homo and an outlaw someone whose opinion and experiences are not part of the universal emancipate himself, himself or herself? Can his or her process of Emancipation undermines the persistence of the camp, and consequently redefines the right to belong, and conse- consequently influences the constant production of statelessness. Just briefly, I would like to dis- explain the concept of homo sacer um, as revealed by Giorgio Agamben. Homo sacer refers to the life of a man who may be killed and yet not sacrificed. It is a figure of a high Roman law in which human life is included in the juridical order solely in the form of its exclusion. That is is of its capacity to be killed. Actually, it's a theoretical concept that reveals the problematic nature of the juridical political order of the modern nation state. And a safest person, be it a refugee or undocumented labor migrant or an erased person, is a typical example of modern Homo Saka. And the refugees, writes Agamben, represent a disquieting element in the order of the nation state because they constitute the break in the implicit continuity between men and citizens, nativity or birth and nationality or membership in the political community. Bringing to light the difference between birth and nation, the refugee causes that the secret element of the political domain, which is their life, appears as such within their domain. Before him, this was of course pointed out by Hannah Arendt in her analysis of declarations of the rights of men and citizens. And the refugee is truly the man of rights, she wrote, the first and only appearance of rights outside the fiction of the citizens that always covers them over. And Erased found themselves in the same structure and position as stateless people described by Adam or Homo Sucker introduced by country The question is, would it be possible to transform the structure of the nation state that produce the uh, exclusion in the forum of de facto or the U.S. status and if so how and now I would like to move to the second part of my paper to discuss this possibility of making some steps towards breaking this exclusion and here I have another quote from Alexander Todorovich the activist I mentioned before and. This I, I find it, um, his quote um, very descriptive, very in, in, yeah a good description of of the struggle. And I will read it. Regardless of this or that result, the most important thing was that people became more human through the struggle. We have been totally dehumanized, not only on the administrative level, but also as people in our personal lives, in our relationships with friends and relatives. It seems that this struggle, this exposure, the public proclamation of the race, standing up to the stereotypes of the majority, this is what brings a kind of humanization," he said. Um, I have not explained yet actually why do I refer Uh, Why do I refer to the stateless people of Slovenia as they raised? And who introduced this term, they raised? Was it governmental officials or the stateless individuals and their collectives? And if I say that this name has been used on both sides, does this mean that stateless individuals accepted the the language of their oppressors? Or does this name they raised highlights the fact that there are still people without the right to live in Slovenia. I believe neither is the case, because over the years of struggle, the term erased has taken on totally new meaning and connotation. The movement of the erase started in 2002, which is ten years after the original act of the erasure took place. And before the collective resistance, the term erased was used mostly by administrative officials to let people know that they lost their um, right to live in Slovenia. They said, you are erased, or they said, you don't exist here anymore, or they said, you are a foreigner now and must get foreign documents, etc. And after the establishment of a grassroots organization of the race, the term underwent a metamorphosis for what Selah Khabib would call a democratic iteration. The concept of iteration was introduced in the philosophy of language by the work of Jacques Derrida and I would like to quote now his explanation of this concept of iteration. In the process of repeating a term or a concept, we never simply produce a replica of the first original usage and its intended meaning. Rather, every repetition is a form of variation. Every iteration transforms meaning. Iteration is the reappropriation of the origin. It is at the same time its dissolution as the original and its preservation through its continuous deployment. So the movement transformed the meaning of the term erased completely. What was once an oppressive and technical term now took political connotation. Victims of the erasure started to use this term in their own way, proudly and consciously, to point out the oppression that they suffered. Um, when the, when uh, rights were denied, when public institutions were closed to them, when the harsh exploitation of their labor became almost a normal thing and when they were considered a matter of the police. So individual suffering was undermined only by their collective action and mutual support. Does this mean, as this man, Alexander Todorovic, I quoted, suggests, um, that only political action can bring about self liberation? Considering uh, Jacques Ranciere's theory of the political subject, it can be claimed that an injustice suffered is a prerequisite for the constitution of a political subject. At the same time, despite the fact that the political subject constitutes itself as the subject of injustice, it does not retain the position of the victim. It ceases to be the victim precisely at that moment it recognizes itself as the victim. At the moment it recognizes that it has suffered injustice and becomes determined to do something about it. And to do something about it means to engage politically, to stand up to the stereotypes of the majority as Vodorović said in this quote. And this is not at all self-understood considering the harsh anti-immigrant atmosphere of that time and about all the isolation of the victims of the erasure because when people were erased they did not know what, uh, what I said before what actually happened they were isolated and they thought they were the only one and firstly, initially they thought it was just administrative mistake and they will sort it out quickly however those who stayed outside Slovenia are still isolated from uh, one another are still not connected as they raised they they could not they don't know each other they did not manage to organize themselves they could not fight for their rights and of course they could not win anything and there were some initiatives from erased people from Slovenia to somehow give assistance to these people outside the Slovenian borders but uh, This this did not develop into a more permanent action, neither in terms of advocacy or search. The insight of the importance of the struggle for both personal lives of the excluded individuals and political and social change is in line with Etienne Balibar's argument that what is essentially political is never given nor comfort. It can be an expression of collective emancipation that brings those who had been non-existent or considered unworthy of the status of citizens to the forefront of the public space. And this was different according, depending on the talk. These were slaves or servants, workers or paupers or women or foreigners, etc and politics exists when the natural order of domination is interrupted by those who have no part this wrote Lancier and after King Balba so identifying oneself as erase became a political act and representing not only the courage and willingness to fight but also a universal appeal to become political This man, Alexander Todorovic said, we sort of told everyone that they themselves could become active and assertive. If they are not in parliament, they have to express themselves differently in their own way. And this appeared that one must not stay passive has been built into their collective identity as an identity of resistance. I think this is also important to stress that they did not identify themselves on the basis of their ethnicity. Although the ethnicity was the prime uh, basis of the prime cause of their exclusion, but they, uh, they, they uh, built a collective identity as an identity of resistance. And their struggle for citizenship as a legal status actually became a citizenship practice. And in this sense, they opened up the space for politics, which I believe is a it uh, is for deeper, deeper, deeper social changes. Okay. Now I would like to continue with more destructive, but quite still quite widespread, strategy of a protest: a hunger strike people can starve themselves regardless of their legal status. The idea behind hunger strike is that threat of somebody's dead body will worry state authorities, since their legitimacy to rule rests upon their willingness and ability to protect life and ensure good life. And what has been said about the metamorphosis of the term erased, I believe, uh, can be also applied to hunger strikes. Before uh, the movement made the issue of their erasure public, the race, the race were starving individually um, in their own isolation and not of their own will. Their starvation was a consequence of being deprived of labor and other social rights. And now I think two questions arises. Why would some, someone that already suffered all sorts of, depri, of deprivations want to starve themselves deliberately? And why was the government expected to react despite the fact that these starving people were officially defined undesirable? Uh, and to answer the first question, As already said, the preservation of life and the improvement of living conditions are taken for granted as a source of state legitimacy. However, it's important to realize that the inclusion of natural life in the state population, or biopower to use Foucault's terminology, produces a bubble bind. At the same time, as modern states are able to perform care and control over the population and foster democracy, they are also able to authorize experiments of total domination, Holocaust, or ethnic cleansing. How is it possible then for the state to introduce such destructive acts if its aim is protection and welfare of the population? Foucault claims that ever since the state began to function in line with biopower, the killing function of the state could only be performed by racism. And killing here means actually giving someone to cope with unbearable circumstances, circumstances, legal or political death, expulsion, and not necessarily directly murdering a person. And also when being destructive, the state acts precisely on those mechanisms which seemingly enable survival, in accordance with the principle that another's bad strength strengthens oneself insofar as we belong to a specific race a group or population and to answer the second question a hunger strike is a collective political action uh, can be read as a way of exposing this paradox I mentioned before of the biopolitical function of the state and also exposing the the, ha- the hidden matrix of Homo Sartre. In the case of the movements of the race, institutional racism was challenged so dramatically that the state could not simply reassert this racist function and ignore, and ignore that uh, a group of people have exposed their bodies to that. And the minimum result was popularization of the movement of the race and emergence a feeling that they would um, that the state need to take their demands seriously. What were the concrete aims they raised wanted to achieve by this by this self-destructive method of uh, protest? I remember one um, hunger strike that was uh, that was organized in uh, support of one man. Ali Beresha is his name. He's a Roma person. He was erased, and then in 1993, he was uh, deported from Slovenia to Albania, but actually he had had no ties to Albania. He had never been to Albania, so Albania immediately sent him back and he was detained in order to be um, deported again. Before this could happen, he actually managed to flee and he fled to Germany and he, he presented himself as a refugee not as a refugee from Slovenia but as a refugee from Kosovo as Kosovo was his birthplace. during uh, his um, residence in Germany he created a family but in 2007 he and his family were ordered to leave uh, Germany as Kosovo was considered safe enough, and they, they would be deported to Kosovo actually, but they instead of this, the family decided to come to Slovenia. Slovenia was the last um, place of residence of Ali Berisha before he fled to Germany. But the problem was that um, they could not enter Slovenia legally without um, without visas, visa, yeah, and they could not get they could not the same visa. And therefore, the hunger strike was organized to support them for the rights to enter for this family and the right to live in Slovenia for this family. And now, to make this very long story short, actually. There were two years that Berisha family managed to live and travel in Slovenia and then they were deported uh, back to Germany with aim that they would be further deported. The protest of the race, the hunger strike of the race made this story public and it became evident that the of Salvinist principle of conquering citizenship can result in Transgenerational exclusion, because uh, his children they were also they were also without any um, status. And second, it was uh, a second terrible discrepancy between the power of the state and an individual. And an idu- individual was pointed out. It took a day or overnight that the state took away the legal status of Ali Beresha. And for Ali Beresha, it took 18 years to get his status back. And he he, still, he hasn't got his status of permanent resident resident in Slovenia. So um, this was about hunger strike. Now I would like to continue with another method of protest that they raised youth and this was the legal fight and this is again the quote of Alexander Todorovic and he said, a different period had begun because most things had begun to be done behind the table and not on the streets. Countless people took part, activists and they accumulated documents, did interviews and translated the files. It was an exceptionally long and exhausting process. It took all year before the lawsuit was filed with the court in Strasbourg. The first lawsuit now encompasses 11 urgent cases of the erased where the persons in question are still without documents. Now we are waiting. Why did the erased file a lawsuit against the Republic of Slovenia with the European Court of Human Rights, considering how insensitive European institutions have been to the illegalization of people. I mentioned before the dramatic numbers of de facto stateless persons living in the European Union. I guess there are at least two reasons. Firstly, the institutions of the EU are not necessarily coherent in their philosophy and aims. What the European Court of Human Rights might find to be an injustice, Frontex has incorporated as a normal practice. And second, as mentioned earlier, for Slovenia's ruling, ruling elite, the EU represents superior values and this overall desire to be recognized as European gave the race an opportunity to identify a big point in the relationship with the EU. Accordingly, they have managed to get a great deal of attention from the media and the government each time the EU institutions or European court uh, of human rights were involved. By filing a lawsuit with a supposedly superior institution, the movement of the race displayed its legal knowledge and its competence to lead international and domestic campaign in their support. And I have to mention here that the movement of the race is as true as its individuals, it has operated, Completely without any uh, funds, any donations. Um, Also, first for the first couple of years, there was there was no place where to meet, and people met in parks, for example, and they they could only talk by phone because they they didn't even have emails. So having won two decisions at the National Constitutional Court and filed a lawsuit with the European Court of Human Rights, the race can no longer be seen in the highly priority terms as media initially portrayed them. In terms of Ethno-nationalism, the media initially actually portrayed the race as the aggressors that, has taken part, that had taken part in the military action against Slovenia and now have the goal to demand compensation. And on the other hand, in the humanitarian pitiful way, they were portrayed as uh, constrained by their lack of knowledge and as poor, non-assertive individuals. And both these options greatly stigmatized the race as as the whole movement as, and as individuals. And a decade of complete silence and ignorance regarding the problem of the erasure gave way to this dramatic stigmatization. And the filing of the lawsuit against the Republic of Slovenia, this act actually proved the opposite, it displayed the power of the movement. The European Court of Human Rights has has yet to render a final decision in the case, so we still don't know what the decision of this court will be. Now here I'm finishing this discussion on the resistance of the race, I would just like to make a conclusion. So in this paper I use the analytical categories of homo sacre and the camp in presenting the case of statelessness in Slovenia. These categories have been applied to clearly show that the erasure was not a one-off accident of the post-independence process. On the contrary, they imply a sense of a permanent structure. At the same time, I do not wish to say that the existence of the latent structure of homo sacre and the camp implied an unavoidable destiny in the case of Slovenia. Political and social recomposition within a particular state or region does not necessarily produce the jure of the party, of stateless people. For example, for example, in the case of Estonia, this did not happen. Secession from Yugoslavia was almost simultaneous with the process for joining the European, European Union. However, The fact that the European Union, with with its image of a socially advanced region, cannot avoid the backlash from the dramatic production of homo sacrum and the camp, is a cause of concern. And these developments lead to the conclusion that the issue of statelessness is tied to deep historical and structural reasons. It seems to worsen in the period of economic recession that began in the 1970s 70s, marked by a neoliberal agenda. And that despite advances in the application of human rights, statelessness does not seem to be vanishing. Processes of political and social recomposition are not of course one dimensional. Throughout the, the course of history, anti-systemic movements have played a crucial role in reshaping society. Communism, for example, would be one example from recent times, or anti war feminist black movement of the late 60s, another one. Therefore, when presenting the case of the race, um, I used two perspectives. I didn't want to present just oppression, I wanted to present the other side of resistance, uh, too. Statelessness means exclusion from citizenship and citizenship being a legal status and a social category and citizenship is not fixed and frozen in time and place, neither as a personal legal status or as a social category and as with other social institutions, changes do not come only from top down but also from grassroots movements and these grassroots movements can influence practice and legislation. In a relatively short time, they race have marched a long way from being oppressed and isolated, deported and harassed by the police and banished from the law and society. They have become visible, even only present in the public space, constantly demanding rights, drawing attention to themselves. And they took to the streets and opened up public discourse and won twice at the Constitutional Court with the result that the legislation in their favour had to be adopted. And they even got they even won the respect and recognition of the police, as for example illustrated by one um, erased person who in front of the police identifies only as with his name and surname and as erased. And um, the only document he possesses is a membership card of the Association of the Erased Residents. And this is what he said This membership card of the Association of the Erased Residents is the only document I possess, but it makes a difference. If now I'm stopped by the police, I tell them I'm erased, I show this card, and they let me go. Thanks to this membership card, I don't pay fines for being erased anymore. As this main example shows, one of the outcomes of the political struggle was that the erased definition of the problem prevails over the definition of the executive authority, also over the mainstream ignorance. It might seem a paradox that at the end of the day, the erased have to fought to be recognized as the race. Yet by taking this path of self-determination, they actually pointed out injustices, re their position in society, and demonstrated the power of collective action. And fostering their identity as an identity of resistance, their race can be seen as a paradigm, paradigm of new political subjectivity. And their struggle to achieve reparations for injustices can be viewed as an emancipatory battle. And the battle for, this battle for reparations for injustices is far from over. Even though the issue of the erasure is slowly becoming a part of the mainstream knowledge and official history. For example, the the term Eurasia has been recently added to the, to the new key Slovenian encyclopedia. However, the state continues to deny the right to compensation for the last years using the same kind of banal administrative language it once used to deny the legal status. The most disadvantaged group, I guess, among the erased are I think those who stayed outside the Slovenian borders. And according to the new law that was adopted to remedy the situation of the region, to finish the story, as the government officials says. Uh, so, according to this new law, these people have the right to return to Slovenia and demand their stolen status of permanent resident back but uh, but the criteria are such that I, I think in practice this, this is not a viable option. So I will finish here. Thank you very much for your attention. And now I think we can yeah. continue you. with the discussion. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this download, You might like to listen to other podcasts of Force Migration Online. www.forcemigration.org slash podcasts